I want to speak from the Word of God a little this morning about some biblical principles of home life. I think there's some very, very vital reasons why in the devil's work upon the human race and family, why one of his central attacks against homes, against genders, against purity, against the wholeness of, of Christian home life. I don't need to tell you that. You know that's true. And we live, we live in a nation that's just totally lost its way in a general sense of the word of God's plan for home and marriage and pureness and uh, the security of a godly home. And, and I'm pretty sure that nearly everyone here has grown up, at least relatively speaking, in a secure home. There probably could be an exception or two, but most of us didn't know what the average child out there today experiences. Uh, a lot of them aren't even sure who their dad is. And if they do know who their dad is, they don't know anything about his loving presence in their home. Sometimes it's the other way anymore. Sometimes they aren't, don't have their mother. And they're off with others. I've worked in, our, our town's not a huge town, but I've worked in Hagerstown in some apartment complexes that, as you, as you saw children move back and forth, you, you had to wonder, do they have any real sense of what their home is? It's almost like functioning in the middle of a huge rabbit warren, you know, just. Um, and what a blessing to have. Uh, you know, I hope in your home, I suppose most of you men sometimes disagree with your wife and most of you ladies sometimes disagree with your husbands, but I hope in your homes, I trust this is true. That when you have difficulties or things to sort out, the divorce don't even enter your mind. That's not an option. You're going to settle this disagreement, go on with life. And your children know that security. They don't, they don't worry that maybe tomorrow dad will just disappear out of the house. They don't have that. And they know the security of a home that has rules and keeps its rules. And, uh, you know... There's real security in that. But the devil is going all out. And, and I think that some of society's opinions do rub off on us a little bit sometimes. And that's one of the reasons why I want to give this little message, because I want to strengthen us back, if I can, in the direction of God's viewpoints on us and our homes Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew 19. If you see a huge demonstration in our days today, one of them may well be about genders. <laughs> and not just male and female, but something in between. I don't want to call human beings it's, but sometimes, you know, that's almost what they get reduced to. 
they're not sure what they are. And, uh, but I hope we're convinced of what the Bible says, that God made male and female. And it doesn't talk about any of the options. Male and female. Matthew 19, verse 4. And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. I think we're well aware that this thing of male and female has faced all of us with some challenges. You know, it, it faces us with a challenge of relating properly and pureness and commitment in marriages and so forth. But I, for one, I trust you feel this way about it. I'm so glad that God made male and female. It has brought blessing into the human family, beauty, diversity, and a lot, a lot of good blessings that in a good Christian home we almost take for granted. Uh, but it's not just home. Uh, church life and community life, the, the different abilities and strengths of men and women, and then, then, of course, the beauty that it brings to a family, father, mother, husband, wife, uh, it's a tremendous blessing, the two genders and the different strengths and perspectives it brings and the complementing roles. And, you know, male is one thing, female is another. They are not equal at all. Now, I know there is a lot of things that are the same. Uh, you can, as long as you're the same type, you can trade blood back and forth. You can trade organs back and forth, uh, you know, transplants and so forth. And the basic structure of two ears, two eyes, etc. you know, are the same. But a man is not a woman, a woman's not a man. Uh, men don't bear children. Ladies don't normally have the same physical strength and stamina that a man has. And in God's order of things, the role is different. It's not the same role. Ladies are not to be the head of the home if there's a husband and father present. Uh, they are not to be the leaders in the church. They are not to be the leaders in the government, even though we're headed more that way all the time. At the same time, in the spiritual sense of the word, uh, a lady is every bit an equal, if not superior, to men. Uh, you have same access to the Father, same faith, same uh, spiritual power. And I think when we get to heaven, we're going to discover that Christian women had a tremendous amount to do with the blessing of the church, the saving of souls, and so forth. And, and that equality exists when each of us take our God-given place. In other words, when we're in God's order and man has a place and it's not a place of ultimate authority. I guess you men knew that. You're under the Lord Jesus Christ. You are under authority. And then you have a, 
a role of authority. But that role of authority you have is only worth something, really, if you're under authority. And ladies, the same way. You have spiritual authority. You have spiritual power when you're in your place. It's a little like this. I've used this little illustration sometimes, and natural illustrations break down. But you go in here to South Boston. I guess it has a couple policemen. It should be big enough for that. You go to South Boston, and you can go up to a traffic light, and that traffic light can be showing green. And there can be this little young guy there. We're going to say he's five foot eight, 22 years old, and maybe he only has average intelligence. You may be smarter than him, older than him, stronger than him, and you shouldn't do this anyway as a Christian, but you'd have the capability of getting out of your car and beating him up, throwing him off the ditch and go on. But I tell you what, and the light's green, if that little guy raises his hand and says, whoa, and he's got that police uniform on and that badge, you better stop. You say, why? Now, why do I have to listen to that little guy? Well, he, you have to listen to that little guy because he's under authority. As long as he's in his place doing his job, you know what all's behind him? All the authority and power of the state of Virginia and clear back to the, to the country itself will back him up as long as he's under authority. He can stop you and keep you there for two minutes if he needs to. It doesn't matter because he has authority because he's under authority. And you, man or woman, have spiritual authority when you're under authority. When you take your role, you can come to the Heavenly Father and say, Our Father, in Jesus' name, and it's right there. I want to take us to a very well-known passage to take some thoughts out of now. Ephesians chapter 5, which speaks of Christ and the church and and then uses marriage as an illustration and background principles. And I want to think a little bit about man's role and lady's role. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated 
his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now, in the general sense of the human race, I think the number one characteristic of the fallen nature of mankind is self, self-centeredness, self-interest, self-government. And, of course, all that stands up then in rebellion against God. And that's, that's the fallen nature of man. And the first commandment, you know what that is, right? You love God with everything you have. And that's that agape love, God-given love, and the nature of God-given love. Of course, the second commandment then is your neighbor as yourself. The nature of God-given love is willingness to sacrifice for the good of another. While it might well include red roses and warm, fuzzy thoughts and all that, the essential nature of love is not so much flowers and embraces but it's a commitment to sacrifice I will give of myself for your good especially spiritual good that we want others to prosper in their relationship to God and I'm willing to give of myself and so then the opposite of love is not per se hate the opposite of love is indifference and I don't really care about you what I care about is me now, men, we got a jolly good dose of that. I mean, if we don't have God work in our heart, we by nature take what we want from me. And I would say the greatest evil that men do against women is selfishness. Uh, taking advantage of them, doing what I want from me. And it can be... It can be real little stuff, but real stuff. Like, I can see the trash cans getting full, but surely she'll do something about it. I can see that little Johnny's being a, a regular rebel, but she can get out the switch. I can see that dishes are piling up on the counter, but isn't that her job? You know, and, and we're selfish. If we're not careful, we're really selfish. And so it's interesting. You would think on wedding day that sure the man loves his wife. But it's interesting that the Bible really puts emphasis on you love your wife. And that's another way of saying you sacrifice for her. You aim to take care of her and make sure she's happy and make sure she feels secure. Oof. I just jumped all over my toes or somewhere on my body anyway. Um, you know, it's supposed to be the heart, but sometimes it feels like the toes, don't it? But a lot of times if a woman isn't all she ought to be, it's because a selfish man helped to put her there. And uh, I really think 
if you want to equalize this thing out, God asked some pretty strong things of women too, but I think us men got the biggest challenge. To actually sacrifice ourselves for our wives like Christ did for the church. That's a tall order. That is a real tall order. And part of that loving is to wash her and cleanse her spiritually with the word of God. Make sure that our home has enough of a spiritual atmosphere that our wives can flourish in that atmosphere with their relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'll just say something. See, I'm beyond this pretty much now, but for you men to have a whole bunch of little children in your home, you might have to make an extra effort just to make room for your wife to read her Bible even. I have a lot of sympathy for young wives that have a lot of children. I've, I've done enough evangelistic work that I've met up with a lot of women who feel guilty about their devotional life. But you know what? They're so busy they can hardly get it done. Well, could washing and cleansing by the word mean that I help her get it done? You know? Think about that. But spiritual leadership and nourishing and cherishing Um, I'm going to say something I hope don't shock you too bad but I've wondered already why did God make a man have such a tremendous physical attraction to a woman it seems to me we could get along fairly good if it wasn't quite so strong you know and I've did some thinking about that. Why did God make a man? I mean, you women don't know anything about this. But you can be, I can be down here in South Boston and see a woman that I absolutely know nothing about. I don't know her background. don't know her personality. I don't know if she's a sweet lady or if she's a regular tiger. I, I don't know if she's honest or dishonest. I don't know if she's a crook or, you know, I don't know anything about her. But she's beautiful. And if, if she's indecent and beautiful, there is an absolute natural immediate attraction to her. And I believe God can give Christian men grace that when they realize that's going to happen, they immediately say, but she's not my wife, so no interest. And you turn away from that. But you can't deny that at the physical level, it's there, just like that. And why, why did God make us that way? And I think he had good reasons. And I've wondered if one of the reasons is that with us being so selfish, maybe we would never want to go to all the work of taking care of a home and children if there wasn't something to draw us in. I mean, I don't know how you would think about that. But I think another thing, God just wanted to be good to man. You know, because all that beauty and attraction is a blessing within marriage in the home and uh, we can enjoy that that's a blessing uh, and, and listen you ladies that don't understand it I'm going to try to give you a crude illustration I, I think you know when we go out there in society and we meet all this display it'd be a little bit like if you had a job and on the way to your job each day you had to go through this corridor of dress material for about 100 yards. <laughs> and it would be real attractive dress material of just the favorite kinds. 
and uh, you were expected to go down that corridor and not look or want or touch each day. That gets close. Um, and you know, if you can't handle that, I guess there are some alternatives, right? Number one, it really helps, and I hope you can understand what I'm saying. It really helps if your husband keeps you well supplied with that beautiful dress material at home. That's one thing that really helps. And so if you can be the loving, tender wife, that will help him. Another thing is, there's probably another way to get to that job. So take a different corridor where there's pots and pans or something, you know. <laughs> Don't go down the dress material aisle. Um, anyway. But I think that Christian wives can help their husbands combat selfishness. And they can be a gift and blessing to him. In the end, though, men, it's ultimately our responsibility to live right with God. Our wives can help us, but it's our job. And if we're not doing our job, we can't blame it on her. Um, but love your wife. You see, the attraction and desire, the loneliness, the, the need to be complete, the desire for a wife, that's all proper in its proper place, but it's not of itself sacrificial love. And probably the young man that comes to the marriage altar doesn't know yet what all that's going to cost him down the road. And it, it's different costs for different people. Sometimes wives get sick. Sometimes they pass away. Sometimes there's problems, and we don't know what we're going to face. But that commitment there. I, I want to say something. There's a lot of young men here. There's a lot of young marriages. Can you allow an older man to give you a little counsel? Uh, this thing of cherishing, this thing of making a woman feel valued and cared for and tenderness. I'm old enough now, and I've been around the countries enough to meet a number of godly people who in their middle ages, their marriage is not going all that well. Now, they wouldn't ever consider divorce. They would never consider really fighting each other. But the level of tenderness and intimacy and all that, it's just not going all that well. And I have a feeling that a lot of that results from some things being neglected when they were in their 20s and 30s. Um, I'll just tell you this story about one couple I knew. You probably know this man. He's widely used an evangelist. And we were close enough that he told me at one point that things just weren't going all that well in their marriage. And I know even the wife had a nervous breakdown at one point. I, don't, I, don't, I can't say that that was because of the marriage, but I just know that things was going really rocky. And then some years after that, he told me, he said, we are having some of the best years in our marriage that we've ever had. And so they were in my home, and I knew them well enough that I just took the plunge and I asked them. I said, How, what has brought, like, revival to your marriage? Why is things going so much better than they did? And the wife answered the question. You know what she told me? Me and my wife were both there. 
She said, about four years ago, my husband told me, she said this right in front of him too. She said, my husband told me that I was going to experience what it meant to be cherished. And she said, I've enjoyed being cherished. Does that make any sense to you? And uh, by the way, I want to honor the men here, the older men in this church that opened the door for their wives. It's a little thing, but it's a symbolic thing that's worth it. Anyway, I think sometimes young married couples take each other for granted too much. And there's a lot of physical drive. There's a lot of intimacy drive. I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot of strength to uh, carry us through a marriage when we're young. And there's interest in family and children and all that. But um, if, if us, when we're young, if us men when we're young don't cherish our wife and develop uh, a closeness in the emotional aspects of our marriage because we're tender and kind, as life goes on and some of those early drives drop off, a middle-aged lady can easily start taking more interest in her house, her flower garden, and her grandchildren than she does in her husband. Sometimes we taught them those things. And, and I would just like to say to you young men bluntly something. You're probably stronger than your wife. And you can play some games that you think are fun. But if she's not enjoying it, you're courting trouble. And uh, I'm just going to use one illustration. A man's strong enough to grab his wife and tickle her some if he wants to. Well, if she enjoys that and can get you back for a moment or two, fine. But if she's feeling abused and used, you're going down a sorry path. And I won't give you any more illustrations. You can take it where you want to go with it. Um, but this is one thing I want to say. Pornography, uh, movies, romance novels, and just the values of society out, out there all have an abusive nature at their core of exploiting and taking advantage. And it's one of the, aside from the fact of meeting God's standards, one of the biggest reasons to be pure is to have sane, thoughtful ideas about how I should relate to my wife. And the sins of this world contaminate that. And so, brethren, you're doing yourself a great favor, especially for your marriage after 50, if you keep concepts or relationships to your wife as you want to cherish her, you want to be kind and tender, you don't want just a physical relationship, but you want a good emotional relationship. And you see, that good emotional relationship, when there's illnesses and pains and aches and I don't know what else can come, uh, operations and other things, then the strength of that relationship carries on and maintains a strong marriage. Anyway. I'm an older middle-aged man. Take that from someone who's been there, okay? <laughs> uh, and I know 
where, where those values have been cultivated, people into their 80s and 90s having a very good relationship as married couples. It can happen, but it takes the right approach. If we allow ourselves to be corrupted morally, it will corrupt our heart, and when we have a corrupted heart, it will bring hurt and loss. That, that's just in a nutshell how I would say it. If we allow the world's values, you know, it's amazing to me, I need to get on with this, but it's amazing to me that in the world how the devil plays this whole thing one against the other. Women cry out, I mean, this was a huge thing in this past election, if you was paying any attention, that, you know, who's for women, who's against women, and they, they really make a big deal out of this. No way should men exploit women. But then the women are spending full-time effort, full steam ahead to be as seductive as they possibly can be and be objects of desire. And what a mess. What an absolute mess they make out of it. Uh, what we men really need is just to apply the cross and say no to that which isn't right and be tender and caring. And then ladies are supposed to also love and respect. And one of, one of the great lies in today's world is that a man needs to be honorable and earn his place in a lady's life. And I hope you just heard all I said about men. We're to be responsible regardless of how the lady treats us. I agree with that. But from your side as a sister, the reason why you should be a blessing to your husband and a true helpmeet and be there for him is not because your man, your husband, deserves it. He probably don't, even if he's a good husband. We don't deserve what God has done for us. No, the reason you do that is because you are serving the Lord Christ. You, you bring your husband a, a, a cup of hot coffee in the morning just like he likes it. And you do it because you're respecting and honoring him and blessing him. I don't know if you're going to agree with this, but I think you just handed a cup of coffee to the Lord Jesus. Not because he is Jesus, that's not the point, but in Jesus' place, you're honoring, it's as unto the Lord. And uh, I told a lady, now I'm going to keep my word, I told some lady already here, I forget which one it was, that uh, I was going to tell you how to change your husband. And for some reason, women always break out in a smile when I say that. I have a secret feeling that a lot of them would like to try it, you know. How, how can you get your husband more like you like him to be? And all kinds of things get tried. Uh, bribes, pouts, manipulations, offerings, chastisements, couch treatments, you name it. Uh, society has tried them. I hope you haven't tried them all. But how do you get the husband to do what you want him to do? Well, I go back to something I said earlier. You see, a woman has every bit as much power and every bit as much right when she's under authority. And so the Bible doesn't say you force your husband to do the right thing. 
it, it, it gives you two powerful weapons. One is living a godly example in your place. And uh, I'm going to take a few minutes off those crockpots, and then I'm going to quit. I'm going to tell you a little story. There was an evangelist out visiting in a community one time, and he came to a lady who was the wife of a deacon of another denomination. And she didn't want to hear anything that he had to say because she was of one of those more formal denominations, and he was a, like a holiness uh, evangelical type. And she said, I, I, and she had a water hose in her hand. And she said, I don't want to hear it. And he always thought, felt threatened by the water hose. But he said, if you let me talk to you about God and the Bible, he said, I will only talk out of the Bible. And so on that basis, and she finally admitted, she finally left him come into the house, and she finally admitted that though she was a religious person, she had plans on leaving her husband. She admitted that she and her husband fought almost continually. And so he shared with her how that was not the right approach. And she rededicated her life to Christ, and she made a determination, I will not fight my husband. And she had asked this man, what do I do when he starts arguing and picking on me? And what am I to do? He said, you got to get control of yourself until you can just go on and talk sweet and act nice and not say anything back. He said, if you got to, lock yourself in the bathroom till you get control of yourself. And uh, so she started to do that. And one time she went to the bathroom, locked herself in, and her husband came and pounded on the door. And he said, what are you doing in there? He said, how come she won't fight me anymore? And uh, I don't know if he ever got saved or not, but I know one thing, according to the testimony, the fighting stopped. It does take two to fight. The fighting stopped. I know of another story where a minister, and this is the second weapon. In your place... You can go to God, and I don't think women should go to God and accuse their husbands, but you can go and present to God their need and say, Lord God, my husband is obviously having this need in his life. Could you give him a blessing to change him? And uh, I want to tell you something. God can put pressure on a man that you never could. A man who has a godly wife and is out of his place, he's in big trouble. I mean, he's just about ready for God to do some real spanking. And I don't think you should take glee in that. But it is safer, much safer, if God's doing the changing. I, I know this story that I wanted to tell you about a preacher. A preacher who just, things were not going well at all in his preaching anymore. And he was somebody who did the kind of work I do, evangelistic work and things. And it seemed like God wasn't giving him messages he wasn't feeling inspiration. He, uh, he wasn't seeing any results. And he was called to go in another state to preach for a week. And, and he told his wife, he said, I'm going to go do it, but this is the last one. When I'm finished this week, I'm going to resign the ministry. I'm going to quit. It's not doing any good. He was just totally discouraged. And his wife didn't give him a hard time about that, but she made a decision. She made a decision that she was going to fast and pray that week for her husband. And various times through the week, as most of us do when we're away like that, you know, he called back and 
she'd ask him how it was going and he'd say, well, I'm this many nights through and I got this many more and I'm going to quit. And uh, all the way up to the end of the week. And after the last night was over and the last message was preached, they talked again. And she said, how did it go? And he said, dear, I don't know what happened. But he said, uh, tonight when I got up to preach, all of a sudden I was anointed, I was blessed, I had a message. It flowed, uh, I don't know, I guess it affected people. And he said, uh, I guess I'll, I guess I won't quit. <laughs> and uh, somehow God gave her the grace to not say really anything and hang up the phone. But she knew. She knew what had happened. Uh, by the way, that's called pushing. <laughs> Pray until something happens. And uh, don't ever result to carnality to try to make things better in your home. Try God. Try God and his grace. And, and because I've been in foreign mission work and stuff, I, whatever the reasons, maybe it's their emotions, maybe it's their tender heart, but the fact of the matter is that ladies tend to respond faster to the gospel than men do. And so I've seen lots of cases where ladies were Christians and converted and their husbands were not. And an unconverted man's a real rascal in most cases. I mean, that's just the way it is. And... Uh, and so I've seen a lot of cases where women were true to their husbands and they did not deserve it. It's not unusual that eventually those men break and become Christians. That happens. That's one thing that happens. But we have to acknowledge that they don't, they don't always. Sometimes the grace of God and the example of a good wife still doesn't get through to them. And they remain unbelievers and they remain lost. And that happens in conservative Mennonite churches. Sometimes men lose out, and despite of all efforts, they don't come back, and they don't change their hearts. And they go out and grieve God and grieve their wife and grieve their children and grieve the church, and they're just hard-headed about it. That unfortunately does happen. You know that's true. But one thing I've seen, even when a wife's Christian example doesn't change a man's heart, many times the children are saved if she stays true to God. Uh, somehow God, you know, you would think if there's not a faithful dad, all these children would lose out. Many times they don't just because of a Christian mother. I was going to talk about children a little bit, but I'm going to quit. I'll just make this comment. I think God's, I think the Bible's opinion on child training are still legitimate. And still what works. Love them. Spank them. Uh, be united as mom and dad about the rules. So I'll just give you those three things quick. Uh, I've had a child or two that for a while went astray. I know what it is to be a grieving parent. And I would say one of the strongest verses in the Bible is the last verses of the Old Testament where it says the Spirit of God will turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers. 
So now I'm adding a little bit that I said I was going to go ahead and close, but I won't just finish that. If you sense your children getting older and you sense you're losing the heart of one of your children, just make that a prayer request. That'd be my number one counsel. Pray that God will turn your heart toward them. You might think you love them tremendously. Just go ahead and pray that prayer anyway. Lord, turn my heart toward my children and turn their heart toward me. It's a powerful concept when God solidifies the bond. And, uh, but yeah, when they're younger, God's chosen remedy for rebellion is the rod. <laughs> and uh, blessed the child whose parents stick together on things. Mama says to Johnny, Johnny, take out the trash. And Dad sees that the trash don't move. Johnny's got a problem coming because Dad's going to make it stick. Bless the child that has that kind of unity instead of separate opinions. So God bless you. I hope that the you men will be tender and kind to your wives. You ladies will be a true helpmeet to them even when they don't deserve it. And together you'll unitedly raise your children for Christ. I'm going to give the time back to the deacon brother to instruct us from here. God bless you.